Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. This is Livia Snedden. That's not Livia Snedden. I'm Livia Snedden. This is Rob Olson. Wow. Hi. What's happening right now? Um, apparently, Liv- all right, so we have a, we have a, gu- <laughs> we have a guest <laughs> joining us this episode. We have a guest, Jesse Lawrence, who got tired of our chitter, chit-chat, or chit-chat <laughs> before the episode, and pushed us into starting the episode. I thought I was on an episode of Black Mirror where there was someone else here that was me, but I knew they weren't me because I'm me, and that they have to be somebody else, but I didn't know if anybody else knew that that person wasn't me because I'm me. This is your Black Mirror episode? Is that what you're saying? This is my Black Mirror episode. Do you guys so, watch Black Mirror? Yes, I've seen it. Um, I watched the first season because there's like three episodes, right? Um, I definitely watched Rory Kinnear fuck a pig. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I watched the first. It's so sad. It's like depressing. I can't watch. It's so depressing. But I like to say when something weird is happening in someone's life that this is their Black Mirror episode. So, yeah, I like that. There you go. Um, (laughs) As Rob mentioned, Jesse Lawrence is joining us this episode. This is his Patreon pick for 2018. And he very slickly... (laughs) Picked. Slick, yeah. A Richard Lehman book. Now, for people who don't know, I'm a huge Richard Lehman fan. Um, Rob, prior to this episode, has only read one Richard Lehman book. We reviewed it in a throwback episode uh, last year, maybe two years ago. Rob, Wait, do you remember offhand? I re- no, but I remember the name of the book, and I'm very proud of this. Was it Night in the Lonesome October? It totally was Night in the Lonesome mm. October. Which is uh, my favorite Richard Lehman book. Um, Jesse, welcome back to Booked. Thank you. It's good to be back. It's been like two months, I think. About that, yeah. Yeah, So so let's start here. Have you ever read a Richard Lehman book prior to, you know, this last week or so? I have not. This is my first. That's so exciting for for you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what else to say. I'm excited for you. This is my first Layman book. And I will tell you, this book book kind of proves that I will always get around to my dear friend's recommendations. Because this book was recommended to me about 14, 15 years ago. Finally reading it. (laughs) Wait, you've known Olivia's that long? I need... I need a really good reason to read this book. So let me see if I can convince these guys to talk to me about it. So um, we're going to do that uh, this evening. Rob, would you like to read the um, the bio here on the on Mr. Lehman? Yeah. First, I want to point out that even though I think that we haven't settled on what we're calling the the the, the reviews where a page, Patreon person chooses it, I'm naming them on our website, Patreon Select. So, oh, that sounds really fancy. It sounds fancy, right? Fancy schmancy. Yeah. Love it. It's like cat food. Yeah, this is the Patreon Select Summer Sea Bass. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What you... All right. All right. No, hold on. Before we go any further, here's here's what you can expect this episode. We got on exactly <laughs> one hour ago, and we have talked about just a variety, a variety of things. And Rob has been drinking nonstop oh, the yeah. whole time. Oh, he has. So usually Rob starts drinking when we start the episode. Yeah. This is Rob one hour in. 
and for the next hour or so, uh, expect it to get uh, expect it to get a little more weird than normal. Well, I've switched <laughs> to Gatorade for the sake of the podcast, but um, I guess it bears mentioning. Jesse, are we were we drinking the same thing? Are you drinking the Behemoth? I finished that off before I got on. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm drinking a three. I was drinking a Behemoth, Three Floyds barley wine, mm-hmm. uh, but I just finished it. Now I'm drinking <laughs> a pigs now. cool blue. Gatorade. There you go. Just for you, Olivia's. Very good. Here's... I have a cool blue plain LaCroix next to me, but oh. I also have a War Pigs next yeah. to me. Is it Lazarite or... Fuzzy? No, it's the Salmon Pants. Oh, you geezer? Okay. All right. More beers. Anyway, here is... We're going we're gonna to focus on um, a bio. Richard Carl Lehman was an American author of suspense and horror fiction particularly within the splatterpunk subgenre. Richard Lehman died in 2001 of a massive heart attack and is survived by his wife, Anne, and daughter, Kelly. That's like really sad. That's like the saddest. I can't think of a sadder bio. Uh, The one on the Amazon page for the book that we're reviewing, um, which is One Rainy Night. I don't think I mentioned that. uh, Actually just still lists him as alive. All right. That's a little sadder. Right, so I had to go. I actually went to, um, I think this is from Richard Lehman Kills, which is a website that probably has been updated in 10 years, um, but that was his kind of like official website, um, and pulled something a little more accurate for for uh, for <laughs> listeners. Uh, I'm going to give you the synopsis, and then we're going to talk a little bit about this book. The strange black rain falls like a shroud on the small town of Bixby. It comes down in torrents, warm and unnatural, and as it falls, the town changes. One by one, the inhabitants fall prey to its horrifying effect. One by one, they become filled with hate and rage and the need to kill. Formerly friendly neighbors turn into crazed maniacs. A stranger at a gas station shoves a nozzle down a customer's throat and pulls the trigger. A soaking wet line of moviegoers smashes its way into a theater to slaughter the people inside. A loving wife attacks her husband, still beating his head against the floor long after he's dead. As the rain falls, blood flows in the gutters, and terror runs through the streets. I don't know what else we're going to add to that. I guess we'll fluff it out a little bit. You know what I like is that that's all, um, all that stuff actually happens. That's real stuff. It's not like, oh, things like this will happen. It's like... yeah. That nozzle, gas nozzle thing, that's a thing. Although I've never thought of that as the trigger. It's like the first 50 pages of the book. It what, is. Um, well, what, what, the handle? What would you, what would you classify that as? Well, there's the, so there's the nozzle and then there's like the, I guess it's a trigger. The thing you pull up. Yeah. But I've never thought of it as a trigger. Like, I've never been like, I'm pulling the trigger. <laughs> but now that's all you'll be able to think about every time you fuel up your car. Now you'd be like, oh, there's no black rain. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a pretty brutal, brutal scene too, and that's that's one of the first ones that we see. That's very early on in the book. That's uh, uh, God, just getting that thing shoved down your throat and then having someone unload gas into you is is uh, is rough. Yeah, you know it's not getting any better after that. No, um, but we will start at the beginning. So the town of Bixby is coming off. Uh, it's the day after a. Uh, a really strange murder. So there's a, a young man, a, a high schooler named Maxwell Chidi, Chidi, Chidi. I don't know. C H I D I. He is found um, tied to the football post in the on the football field. I'm assuming is where those posts are. 
and uh, he was set. He was set on That's fire. I've seen them all the time. So he was burnt to a crisp um, and killed uh, for reasons unknown at the very beginning of the book. And uh, we see this through the eyes of a uh, a cop who has uh, come back to the scene um, to to essentially try to kind of feel out what happened or, or whatever. And as he's standing there, rain comes down, and it's black, as mentioned in the synopsis. And immediately him and the maintenance guy who he's talking to um, begin to attempt to murder each other. Yeah. So, I, I, A, we've got Jesse, the resident social justice warrior on the podcast. So this is, a, <laughs> this is definitely a hate crime that kicks off the book, right? Are you trying to get me to talk about how black people can't wash the black off of themselves? Wow. Um, I wasn't. <laughs> um, so, all right. So, I didn't even know where I was going. I was always making a cheap social justice warrior joke, and Jesse tried to take it somewhere serious, I think. Or funny. Uh, uh, there's there's plenty to make in, the, in, yeah. this, in this book, I'm sure. So I guess it bears pointing out that this book came out not recently, especially considering that the author died in 2001. Um, this was this came out in 1991. So I think that, like, it's a little different than, like, had the book come out today. Would we agree with that? As far as, like... Um, you know, I, I, I think... And you're going with the kind of racist tones that are in it, right? Not even tones. Just flat-out racism that's just in it. Just the... So, like, I'm not going to say that racism has gone away, but there are things that, like, even, like, the people who aren't are portrayed as not being racist in this book still have some kind of racist kind of thoughts. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I, I honestly think that, that there's probably an avenue today especially to have more of this type of, of fiction come out. Um, as as we're well, there's a lot of racial yeah, the, tension, the, right? The so how is somebody you're not... talking about the Trump administration? Uh, I'm talking about <laughs> authors who would want to write about racism. I guess. <laughs> um, I, I thought about it the more from a standpoint of a lot of like the 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 violent sex stuff that happens. Um, so I didn't think about it from a racial standpoint that this book couldn't slash wouldn't be largely released today from that. Um, cause let's get into the story a little bit and then maybe we can kind of <laughs> swing back kind around. of flesh this out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So no, pretty no, good. I get what Livius is saying. Like, I think today it, it totally would be more of a, a get out type thing today. It would totally be about like, Oh, black people can't, they don't have the privilege of washing, washing the black off, you know, and that would actually be a big factor in, in a book told like that today. You know, and stuff like that. And they probably wouldn't be calling people Oriental today. <laughs> that's true. I'll I'll agree with you on that. So, yeah. Was, that's was like, somebody called Oriental in this book? Did oh, I just yeah. Lost right it's over all that? over okay. the book. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't even remember. Are there any Asians in this book? <laughs> I mean, there's hard, I'm not to trying to be honest, funny. There's I hardly don't... any black people in the book, if we're being completely honest. It's right, just like, yeah. It's like a, a book. A bookend on the whole thing, <laughs> which kind of makes me wonder, like, why was that even included then? If if that wasn't going to be of importance, but well, we, I mean, we don't want to spoil it. I have a thought about that. Yeah, me too. Okay. Um, it, well, and I have multiple thoughts about it. I guess now that I think about it. So, really, here's the setup. 
um, the night before this book starts, um, uh, there's uh, there's three teenagers there in the high school who all can afford Harleys for some reason. Um, Buddy, Lou, and Doug. And I guess I don't know if they ever actually said they were in high school, the, the three of them. So they may have even been a little older. Did you guys do you guys have a thought on that? Um, Buddy, well, uh, I, I guess I, I assumed they were high school kids. Um, because Lisa is, and Buddy was dating Lisa. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't specify. You are correct. The three of the, so the Buddy was dating Lisa. Lisa broke up with him and started dating Maxwell. Um, so the three of them show up to the school dance. They, they start a lot of shit. They get thrown out. And then we find out pretty early on in the book that they, they abduct Maxwell and they're the ones who murder him. So we established that um, that they are bad people early on. I think it's pretty safe to say that the rest of the people in this book <laughs> that are bad people are all kind of affected by the rain. Now, some of them may have some racist views, but they're not like truly evil, violent people. But these three murdered somebody before Correct. the book started. Yeah. So that's yeah. addressed one of the groups that's in this book, and that's Buddy, Lou, and Doug in the aftermath of of killing Maxwell. Um, the other group that we follow is uh, Lisa has told her mom that she that she was dating this kid and that he was killed and that she suspects Buddy and his friends of doing it. So the mother, Francine, takes Lisa to the police where they run into Trevor, um, who's the cop. And this is the other group that we follow. We follow several groups through this book. Um, so to express their, their concerns and um, right when they get to the police station, is when the rain breaks out. So immediately we find out that people have turned violent. Um, a cop comes in the station, kills somebody. Trevor takes them down, but they start to to figure out that there's something wrong. So the three of them are together through the course of the story. I want to, Rob, you want to take another one of these groups, or I want to take on a little bit more of the Trevor that we're presented with at the beginning of the book, because it is the most adorable little cop ever. Because <clears throat> homeboy is off; he's not working. He's a cop, but he's he's it's, he's off duty or he's just not working at the time. But he's hanging out at the police station because he always goes to the pizza place at eight o'clock. And uh, Maureen, who we're going to talk about more, um, works at the pizza place, and he's got like this like schoolboy crush on Maureen, and he doesn't want to go in. He's like he's doing that thing where he's like massively overthinking a situation where he's like, well, if I go in too early, maybe she's, if I go too late, blah, blah, blah. and, and he just wants to see her. And this is the day that he's like built up in his mind, whether it actually would have happened or not. He's built up the courage to finally ask her out. And so like we had seen a and little homeboy should have just stayed home. Homeboy should have stayed home, but we saw a little bit of violence in like kind of a prequel not a prequel what's it called a prologue right mm-hmm. and yep and then little trev goes to work and he's kind of hanging out waiting for eight o'clock so he can go see maureen at the pizza place and that's when the fucking chaos begins and it's like oh shit trev you kind of missed your moment um but it, i i just want to say because trevor is one of the main characters that we follow more than most in this book um he started out as just this like love sick puppy of a dude who gets thrown into this like absolute chaos from the very beginning. Um, and yeah. So like, and then it plays out throughout the story. So 
I just thought that Trevor was just the cutest little little thing at the beginning of the book. <laughs> I guess let's talk about them for a little bit. So yeah, so he <clears throat> he winds up going out because he wants to find Maureen and make sure that she's safe. Which really, when you think about it, the police station was the absolute safest place in that whole town. Yet yeah, they oh, left. Yeah. The, the, the police station, the police station where there's guns or they can lock themselves in a cell if they're overrun or, or yeah. something along those lines. But instead, he uh, drags Lisa and her mom um, out. Uh, I don't want to say into the black rain because they don't they don't get, you know, they, they they figure out a way to cover themselves or whatever. I'm not going to get into the specifics, but they're, they're going to drive partway across town to the restaurant and check on Maureen. Yeah. And I love the the suiting up kind of so like. I guess it bears noting that throughout the book, as chapters change, there's like there's sections and like within the section, there's different chapters and then the chapters change. We see different people and what they're going through. And after like some shit goes down in the police station, they figure out that whatever's happening with this black rain is causing people to go nuts. And it's a similar theme throughout the other chapters where we see the different groups of people. We'll talk about eventually. So... They decide, oh, we got to go save, you know, Trevor decides I got to go save Maureen, which means I got to go out in the black rain, which means I got to protect myself from getting wet. And then there's this, like, did you ever see that movie Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like half of that movie, and I haven't seen it in a long time, so I could be wrong, <laughs> is just people strapping guns and ammo and stuff to themselves. Oh, this and, book is a movie would have the best suiting up montage Holy ever. shit. Yeah, because, like, they go from being, like, horrified. Lisa and her mom, Francine, are, like, freaking out because these cops just started shooting each other and stuff. And they go from that to, we got to go out in the rain, so Trev's got to suit up. And and <laughs> he is referred to as Trev in the book, so it's not just me saying that. But anyway, there's, like, they're basically, like, like good housekeeping, like, making a garbage bag like waterproof suit for him in the in the and it was a great scene because it was just like it, it felt like that suiting up moment but with like a bunch of garbage bags and scissors and tape and stuff <laughs> can i just say quickly that i've actually lived that moment <laughs> where <clears throat> working <laughs> working in restaurants and bars and and not being a driver wait i was gonna say uh, were we going to a beer event no Oh, shit. You're right. We did that, too. But before you and I ever went to a beer event, I have lived that moment where I've had to take garbage bags from the janitor closet of numerous jobs, whether they were bars, restaurants, or even actually at a grocery store, because I had to take the bus or walk some walk home and suit up. The money I would pay for one photograph of Jesse in his garbage bag suit. And I would like to say at this time that we don't give garbage bags enough credit because Jesse has not once turned into a homicidal maniac in any of that rain. Fair enough. Thank you, Livius. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So anyway, I wanted to, I wanted to give credit to the Trev suiting up scene because that garbage bag suit lasts for so much of the book. <laughs> so much of the book. Yeah, there are. Uh, this book would have been twenty percent shorter if Trev didn't have to adjust his garbage bag mask. Yeah, he could, couldn't see all the eye holes. Right, so he has to adjust it like four hundred different times in this book. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but yeah, it does, <laughs> it does happen quite a lot. 
Yeah, that's going to come up again later. <laughs> Just remind me when you guys talking about the pacing or the length <laughs> devoted to that. I've I've got a note about what gets attention and what does not get attention. Love it. Um, I guess another group of people that bears uh, discussing is um, so Lisa. We we talked about before the the girlfriend of really the good guy and the bad guy in this the good guy at the beginning and the bad guy throughout um, was originally supposed to babysit for a girl named Kara. So her parents could go out to dinner and um, she canceled the babysitting gig to go to the police station to talk about how she thinks her boyfriend killed her boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend killed her boyfriend. This gets really confusing. Denise is plan B babysitter. So Denise gets called up Denise has a boyfriend named Tom, who she was thinking of because she's home alone. Her parents are out of town. She was going to call Tom over for some hanky-panky, I think, and gets cock-blocked by Kara's parents, who need a babysitter because Lisa canceled. Denise is a good person. She decides, all right, I'm going to go babysit. And the parents are so desperate, they're like, oh, you can have your boyfriend over. It doesn't matter. So that's like one of our main groups of people is Denise, who is the substitute babysitter for Kara, who has a boyfriend named Tom. Correct. And then we also follow John and Lynn, who are Kara's parents, um, as they are at a restaurant when all hell breaks loose. Um, there are a ton of characters in the restaurant. Really, the only other one that I think is really an integral part of that group is Cassie, who is uh, she is the shift supervisor. Um, at the restaurant. So the, she's the head the honcho busty, at the restaurant while they're there. The busty shift supervisor. Yes, yes. The very hot, in my notes say hot waitress. Because <laughs> um, all the women, incidentally, in this book are pretty hot. Except, fair yeah. Person? Except I, I get the feeling that that Sandy chick with a southern accent wasn't super hot. <laughs> but she'd do it in a pinch. Because they don't well, that's, talk yeah, about her say, figure. Yeah, Trev still was like, I'm totally checking this shit out. But then, to be fair, he's a guy, right? And that's that's what guys do. So He did get a yeah. heart on, actually. <laughs> he did. Her. Well, we should, there should be like a, there should be an erection meter for this, this book. Because it doesn't, it's, that wasn't an isolated incident. All right. So we'll talk about Sandy real quickly. Sandy is someone that they encounter later in the I don't know that she's going to come up a lot. And I didn't think she would come up at all in conversation, quite frankly, but I stand corrected. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to circle back to Maureen. So the search is on. Trev is trying to find Maureen. Maureen's father owns a pizza place where she also works. That's where he sees her um, every night at eight o'clock. Well, she went out to do a delivery so lo and behold, Buddy, Lou, and Doug, the murderers, um, have a couple of girls over and they order a pizza. This is where the going really gets good for me because immediately we want to like Maureen because we're set up to care that she's missing, right? Yeah. But who's yeah, one of totally. the first characters? Who the first? Well, I guess the second, whatever named character that we see get affected by the rain is Maureen. So Maureen goes from the object of our search, right? Like, we're all with Trevor. He's got to find Maureen. And Maureen turns into a homicidal maniac, like, right off the bat. So Maureen is now approaching a house that has three teenagers who have killed somebody viciously and brutally. And she is trying to kill them. And that's where all the fun starts. And I want to point out that within, 
I don't know. You can kind of estimate how long, but I think within the first 15 to 20 percent of the book, he's effectively introduced 15 characters, maybe. Right. Oh, easily. And if there's one thing I'm known for not liking is an author just like continuously introducing character after character after character. Um, Stephen King. But he did this in 15 pages, not 150. That's, that's, yeah, you see where I'm going with this. He did a great job of introducing a pretty decent-sized cast of characters and allowing you to see pretty easily how their, like, stories intertwine. And there was this moment where I was like, oh, it's really cool that um, Trevor's looking for Maureen, who got called out to deliver a pizza to... Buddy and Lou and Doug, like, this is going to be a good story. And I got that real <laughs> early on. And it was easy. And I really appreciated that about this book. I will say that, so this is my second reading of this book. I read this book 20 years ago, give or take. Uh, maybe a little less than, no, because I read it after he died. So let's say 15 years ago. Um, I didn't remember how many characters there were. So I was trying to like, holy shit, now I'm starting to like, remember their story. But yeah, you're right. It wasn't hard to follow who the characters were as you read each section. So you might turn a section and you'd be like, Oh, it starts out with John is thinking about something. You're like, Oh, who shit? Who's John? But then they mentioned the restaurant. You're like, Oh, John's the one who's at the restaurant with his wife. Like it was really easy to follow who these people were, even though there was a significantly large cast of characters. Yep. And that earned like a whole star right there. I was like, well done, Mr. Lehman. You (laughs) fucking set up a story that's easy to understand. I see the players. I can kind of guess the direction things are going. And then you threw a bunch of black rain on them and they want to kill everybody. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind of um, where I think a lot of the interest in this book lies is, um, you know, you've got the majority of people who, who are talked about in the book are maniacal killers, right? Like you have this cast of characters and then everybody else has been affected by the rain. You don't see the the people who are barricaded in their homes that don't come out or whatever. So it's this cast of characters. So you've got Trev, Lisa, Francine versus the world. You've got Denise and Kara, right? She's babysitting. They're they're in a house and they they you know are, are not affected, but other people might be. You've got uh, John, Lynn, Cassie, and then the people in the restaurant. But right outside the restaurant are a bunch of maniacs. Uh, Maureen is affected, but you're still kind of rooting for her, <laughs> and. Uh, then you've got Buddy, Lou, and Doug who are pieces of shit, and that's established pretty early on. So one of the things that I remember from Layman books, is, and one of the things I liked, is that there, there very frequently seems to be more than one um, set of bad apples, we'll call them. And in this, you have Buddy, Lou, and Doug who are not affected by the rain and are terrible, like, murderous pieces of shit. And then you have the other group, which are affected by rain, that are also murderous pieces of shit, right? Yeah. So you have two different yeah. dynamics of villain working in this book, um, which I always found to be kind of interesting versus the standard, like, one monster, one heroine, or one hero. I, I find it interesting that Layman has done this in a number of his books where there are multiple um, different groups of, of bad people. And... Um... Yeah, so now we're going to have to, like, step cautiously on the things that we say, I think, because we could be spoiling things that lead to, like, kind of what happens at the end of the book. But I will say that early on, Maureen, affected by the Black Rain, um, delivering a pizza 
to like a bunch of murdering people tries with a brick to just beat the fucking brains out of buddy when he answers the door and fails apparently she's not the best murderer and becomes gets captured gets knocked out and and captured by buddy lou and doug and their girlies cindy and something else i can't remember the other girl's name and so they've caught someone who's affected by this black rain and she's unconscious and what would you imagine they would do? They're probably not having the best intentions with Maureen, who, like Livia said earlier, every girl in this book is super hot. Um, so he set that up nicely where there was like a couple of different situations where some murder person affected by the Black Rain gets knocked out or incapacitated. And you want to know what's going to happen next with these people. So that was a cool, that was a cool moment to see like, what happens once they get incapacitated or, or, or captured or something like that. Yeah. And you know, the story is about discovery. All of these groups are really not in contact with one another. Um, <clears throat> so we get to, to see really, you know, what's essentially four groups of people um, figure things out or what their plan is to, to kind of make it through this. And I think that's what really makes this book interesting is getting four different takes on the, on the event that occurs. So a lot of intertwined storytelling. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk. We, we, we ta- started talking a little bit about the violence early on, but there's, there's some other stuff that happens in this book that I think we could talk about without being too spoilery. Um, but all of them for, and I'm saying this for Jesse's benefit, these are all layman trademarks, man. So I guess we could talk a little bit about um, what the black rain does is is and, and it's described several times with different different characters regardless of who you are once the rain makes contact with your skin you feel really good like it feels warm you feel this kind of euphoric like happy you know you're happy that you're being rained on with this black rain and you're almost immediately filled with like these very strong desires to for the most part kill anyone and everyone that's around you. Um, But there's also some sort of like sexual stuff going on too. And when we first were introduced, there was like the first few times the different people were reacting to the rain. I was like, I I had a legitimate thought in my head was, are these all just going to be murder crazy people? Or are there going to be some kind of sex crazy people? Cause it seemed like it might be going in that direction. And then I was like, is he going to explain how does someone get murder crazy and how does someone else get sex crazy? And, and so I was like wondering when is that going to happen? But it really didn't feel like it ever became an issue, even though some people felt sexy. I think it was just like they felt sexy about wanting to murder people. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would describe it as, is essentially like a bloodlust is what happens when you're drying the rain. And as far as the, um, as far as the sex stuff, I mean, all of it is is those thoughts are all kind of violent sex. So I don't know how <laughs> far apart the two really are when you're talking from a violence standpoint. So it's like a murder like it, boner. <clears throat> well, so and I'm just I'd completely ad libbing here, but it's always like, oh, I want to I see this. I want to have sex with this person and I want to cut their throat and have them bleed all over me while I'm doing it. So, I mean, it's always kind of tied in a little that's, bit to the that's some crappy dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to the violence. 
<laughs> I mean, there's one point where a character Wasn't actually straight out of the book, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the character fantasizes that another character that he's he's having these kind of fantasies about is suspended above him and bleeding on him as she's being lowered, like through some sort of mechanism. <laughs> like, yeah. So, I mean, all of very little of it's like, oh, I'm just kind of horny. It's all like super violent, disgusting, kind of nasty sex thoughts. But that's, that's how I took it. I will counter with, and and I could be wrong. I mean, I know I'm not wrong, but I, I guess I could be reading too much. I could be reading. I might be saying this for the first time ever, but I could be reading too much sex into this. Um, <laughs> there's a scene, there's a part in the book, and this won't spoil it because I won't say when, where like someone's just kind of seeing carnage all around them. And one of the things was talking about, so there's a lot of people pleasuring themselves, but there's like <laughs> specifically on the, on like the hood of a car or something, a dude having sex with a person. It didn't really get super specific, <laughs> um, straight up having sex, but then, and I'm like, okay, so some people just go sex crazy, but then the book goes a little further and says, that they can't tell if the person on the bottom was dead or alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah All right. That's a good point. And yes, that your recollection is, is spot on. <laughs> so. That really stuck in my mind. Cause I was like, Oh, here comes the sex I was thinking about. And it's like, Oh, Nope. I feel like yeah. this is more of a destructive act than a sexual act. Yeah. Um, so super violent, super bloody, um, super rapey. Uh, which, which yeah. can, you know, I mean, some of it's, this isn't for everybody. Um, I, there is a lot of, there's, there's so another isn't it like women's month or something right now. It is. And there are <laughs> yeah. a lot of women in this book. <laughs> another layman trope is, uh, essentially that anytime there's a woman in a situation where her clothes could be torn off, like it just happens. Like, if there's the slightest possibility, and Rob, if you think back to Night in the Lonesome October, I oh, probably yeah. gave the same speech, <laughs> and you probably noticed some very similar <laughs> some very similar things happening in this yeah. book. In the event there's any type of struggle, um, a, a woman will become topless. That's, that's essentially in pretty much every layman book I've ever read. Um, and then there's always men who, and, and I wonder, and, and again, I, I don't, you know, I don't know how honest anybody's going to be on a podcast about this. I feel like Rob would be. Do you think at some point in a situation like these people are in where they're like crazy people like busting into a restaurant trying to kill you that you would not like look down like a woman's shirt? Like at some point, like you would be distracted enough by trying to save your own life because Richard Lehman characters do not ever get distracted enough. Not to not to, look at a titty. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd still look at the titty. I'd be like. There's about 30 people out there who are just, I know they're going to kill me because I know me. <laughs> I'm going to get one last look at a good titty before I go. See, now I would think that at a certain point I'd be like, I don't care if everybody's naked. Like my own self-preservation will be to pay attention to what's actually like dangerous. That's why you're yeah, going to survive I'm and I die. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's why i die you survive and i honestly asked myself this question as i was reading this book and, and don't get me wrong it's one of the things i love about richard layman books um this one had a little bit less of and rob and i talked about this on, on our previous layman review where like big crazy thing happens but now it's kind of passed and it's been like a whole three minutes so we can start cracking jokes 
and that didn't happen very much in this book, but that's that's kind of how layman rolls. Like the life threatening thing um, very quickly can become secondary to a boob, a good joke, <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes like a pizza. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where I'm thinking, like, you know, like, like in this one. They, so this happens and they're like, well, we're going to feed everybody. And I'm thinking, who the fuck is going to eat? After a guy just busted in the door and murdered someone, like the body's laying there, and they're like soup for everybody, right? That totally I mean, happened. Yeah, people yep. might drink alcohol. Sure, I can. No, totally one, no one's going to eat food. Yeah, I can totally see the drinking thing, and I'm not much of a drinker, and I could totally yeah. see the you know what I'll belt down some of that fucking bourbon because I need something to like calm my shit down. Yeah, drinking or smoking cigarettes or something, but no one's like, man, God. Do they have any ravioli left? I, I'd be the ra- I think I'd be the ravioli guy. <laughs> the ravioli. <laughs> I, I, I didn't notice in this book when you guys you guys were talking about like yeah, there's like boobs everywhere or everyone's really hot. The other thing that I noticed in in this book on like on the sexism scale is that it's very much men are the strong ones or the protectors. You know, like. Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch out. I'm gonna protect the women, or like I need you to like take care of the girls, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I well, <laughs> well, yes and no. So I'm, I mean, I'm gonna yeah. counter. I'm gonna counter on a couple of of levels. So we have Maureen, who has nobody fucking. Trev, Trev's looking for her, but she is definitely all on her own. Yeah, Trev's not doing shit for Maureen. And then Denise, who's just a teenage girl, does a pretty bang-up job of, like, taking care of her shit without getting into too much, you know, of the story. And Kara, the nine-year-old, actually really holds her own. Right, yeah, okay, yeah, and her too. So I would go, like, I don't know, that's at least three strong female characters. That's true, but they're not the authorial voice. The authorial voice is telling, is men telling other men you have to look out for the women or you need to like, I need to be the protector. I feel like there's a little difference in that. Um, so I agree that that happens. Um, but I mean, we're talking about physical struggles, right? I mean, this, this is kind of a, Oh, okay. So let's put it this way. Oh, Jesse. here we go. <laughs> no. Okay. Jesse, it, it was bound to happen. <laughs> Jesse, there's a woman in your life, right? Would you yes. not? try to defend her in this situation or would be like, you're fully capable of taking care of your own shit. <laughs> like just being like, I'm going to go over here. Okay. Let me explain it this way. Because if, of equality. <laughs> I can't try and keep that guy from beating you with a bat. No, if her and I were in danger, yes, I would fight <laughs> to protect her as well as to protect myself. She is the stronger of the two of us. She would probably end up protecting me. The thing is, in this book, we're presented we're presented with a teenage girl who can protect herself and can protect a, a, a younger girl. And the younger girl can also protect herself and her older babysitter here. Whereas the father finally realizes, hey, there's a male in the house. I want to talk to the male on the phone. And I'm going to tell the male that he needs to be the fucking protector of these people. That that's the that's the thing I'm getting at. Well, is to that, be fair, he did get him on the phone because Denise says Tom thinks we should drive out of town. <laughs> He's like, "Fuck that! Put that kid on the phone." Yeah, I think you're trying to tell one part of the story, Jesse. Because really, like when I walk away from this story as like rapey as it is, and as like 
as, really as, as much there's yeah it's pretty rapey as much of a tone of like maybe misogyny or just like you know chauvinism that there might be in the book you walk away thinking who are the strong characters in this book and it's denise and it's kara and it's maureen like for me those were the characters who really slogged through it the best trevor just went throughout the book just making like wrong decision after wrong decision <laughs> <laughs> with like good intentions that guy was, pussy that guy was pussy whipped and never saw any pussy yeah that's like <laughs> yeah he's like he yeah exactly so like if you look at the characters that actually play out as being the strong characters who were pivotal in like their own survival and it's all women yeah so well, that's a good point we talk about trevor as a cop too you would think as a cop <laughs> He would find like the restaurant with the most people to like defend, and not just like drive around town trying to find this one woman. No, that, that's not that's not his wife or even his sweetheart. Like she's the girl he was finally going to ask out. No man, it was his off night. Dude, this is All fucking. You know that movie San Andreas? It came out like within the last few years. It's got the Rock. It's about like a fucking earthquake in California. Mm. I've never seen it, but I know it is. Yeah, I got. I know the broad strokes of the movie. He's, like, a guy who's, like, a helicopter rescue person, I think. Does that sound right? Does anybody know about this story besides me? I mean, I've heard of the movie. I don't know anything about it. So, he's, like, a helicopter, I believe, and our listeners can correct me. He's, like, a helicopter rescue person, which means that when the world is falling apart because of an earthquake, he's, like, the best person to have to save people, right? And he decides to leave, to abandon his city to go find his daughter or whatever in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. I remember that trailer now. I mean, I, I guess I, I wonder what, like, at what point do you stop doing your job? And I mean, some of that is, like, I guess, dependent on what your job is, right? <laughs> to, I think well, but a I mean, lot. like, well, like, you know, like, like let, let's just say you sell electronics. Like at a certain point when there's a catastrophe, it's okay to stop selling people electronics to like go look after your family. I can stop making the schedule. Right. But if you're like an EMT or you're a cop or you're a helicopter rescue guy, like there seems to be a little more, you know, on the line with like what your job is to continue to help people out. Yeah. Like I could stop doing my job for a lot less than Black Rain. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) But if I was, like, a doctor, I would probably feel a little more compelled to, like, make it to the hospital to take care of injured people. Yeah, yeah. Right. And when you're the rock and you're a helicopter rescue person, (laughs) you have to save, you have to rescue people via the helicopter that you're in, in the movie. Right. Except that your daughter is Alexander Daddario, so it's completely forgiven. (laughs) Understandable. Totally forgiven. I feel like Trevor reached that point very, like, very briefly. Like, there was no explanation behind it. It was not, he didn't give a reason. It wasn't because I need to do my job and I need to save people. Like, but he had his moment where he's like, yeah, I'm more important than you are right now. You know, where he should have been like, because like he was doing his job as a cop up to that point. It seemed like, like, oh man, this, this guy should just like, you know, lock these people in a jail cell and then go on his mission or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he took them all with him, and he like kept trying to save people. And he they ran into that like that killer girl that he locked into the trunk and whatnot. <laughs> That's true. <Yeah. laughs> you know, so he wasn't really doing his job. But then like 
when when his life was directly in danger, he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm actually more important first, so I'm gonna like protect my ass, and then I'll try and protect yours. So it seemed kind of off balance. He he wasn't the best hero. Yeah, no, and, and he wasn't. Which you know, in in a way, I I appreciate, um, because you know reality, right? So I realize it's probably a little soon to talk about, but you know, we just had an incident in Florida where police chose not to go into a building because there might have been someone actively shooting. So real life, right? Sometimes you don't go into the danger, you take care of yourself. And I mean, in this case, it wasn't Trev taking care of himself, it was Trev taking care of a potential girlfriend um, <laughs> like, that he... <laughs> he was preserving his hope of getting yeah. laid. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Your, your job as a cop is to go into fire, though. Right. No. No. I agree. I'm just saying that this this today, now that I think about it, seems more real than doing the uh, the uh, I don't even know what the, the chivalristic thing, the the what whatever it is, the 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 duty bound thing, which would be to go where there's the most people for you to defend. I would think. Oh yeah, the restaurant. So, yeah. Um. I do want to point out that since we're talking about how stupid Trevor is, <laughs> there were like a couple of scenes where uh, so he's driving around. He's driving around with um, Lisa and Francine, Lisa's mom, and he wants them to stay safe in the car. So he leaves them there, but he takes the car keys with him um, in case they get wet and drive off without him. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's essentially, uh, yeah. yeah. There were some questionable moral decisions that this guy made. Like, he basically said, if some lunatic comes along and tries to kill you in the car, sorry, because I don't want I don't want to have to try and find another car. Dude, given the way Francine was acting and talking, I would do the same thing. She'd have left his ass there. Oh, well, dude, I wouldn't have fucking down. brought him along in the first place. They would have been locked in a cell in the police station. I would have been off cruising around on my own. Oh, totally, for sure. Yep. That's the idea. Anyway. anyway. Trevor, right. not, Trevor not, was an the, idiot. not the sh- white, the, shi- the knight in shining armor. Not the knight in shining armor. Can no, I tell you Sandy. guys? We've talked about this book for about 35 minutes more than I thought we were going to. <laughs> so I'm glad that there's discussion worthy. It's such a good book to talk about. Oh. Yeah. Um. So I have one more thing that came to me while I was reading this book that we should talk about. Like, you know, that John struggles briefly with killing people who are trying to kill him because he knows that they're only doing it because they're affected by the black rain. Um, where do you guys stand on that? Like, how quickly would you be able to, um, given that physically you you have the tools or, or whatever? So if I put a gun in your hand, would you would you be able to pull the trigger on people who you know are innocent, other than for the fact that they're infected by this rain? How do you know there's a cure? Well, that's no, no, no. I'm I'm not saying you know there's a cure. I think when he has these questions originally, when they come up, um, they they don't know if there's a cure, right? I mean, given if like I were actually thrust in that position, maybe I would totally maybe my morals would kick in and I wouldn't shoot people instantly. But like when I'm not in danger right now, my line of thinking is like it's kind of like the zombie scenario. It's kind of like they're going to fucking kill you. So like if you have the opportunity to take them out, take them out. Yeah, Rob, where are you at on that? 
I, 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 so like, and that's the thing. The moment I see one act of insanity by someone with that black rain on them, I'm killing anybody. <laughs> now, but, but the thing is when it's introduced that like, I might know that, you know, well, here's the thing. Like if I knew there was a way, yeah, I, I'm not even going to go into it. I would, I would still kill. <laughs> even if I was like, cause, cause here's the thing. Like if, if I knew I could kill them and they'd be dead or I could, I could rehabilitate them, I guess, but it would take like four steps. That's in within those four steps, they could kill me. And so you guys have seen Shaun of the Dead, right? Yeah. Yes. So if 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 something like Black Rain or zombies happened, if I were faced with like you two, I I would try and fucking like tie you up or some shit. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll, I'll I'll get I'll get back to you. You know. <laughs> Everyone else though, if I don't know you. <laughs> or, right. So that's yeah. You, I mean, that's that's a challenge. Our murder. I mean, that's literally something we see. <laughs> Um, and even in like the walking dead, you know, every three weeks, right? Like somebody is, is, uh, killed and turned into a zombie and then the person struggles to put them down. So yeah, if it's someone, you know, or care about or love or whatever, that's a whole different, different story. I was just wondering if there are moral objections to, to this. I have none. Like if it's, if it's no. me or you, or if it's my loved yeah. one and you, you're crazy covered in black rain, like I have no, I, I don't think I would have any, obviously not being faced with a situation. I can't say for certain pretty strongly believe i'd put a bullet right between your eyes well, so you yeah. here's what would you would, you'd kill me <laughs> and then like next week when it all blows over you'd be like man it really sucks i had to kill rob <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it would suck <laughs> welcome to vape <laughs> now i i will say that that maybe is where um where he kind of missed the real opportunity for his character or any of the characters to have that struggle yeah, because that would have been a good scene where, you know, and I'm throwing it out there where John has to face like killing his wife or something or vice versa. Um, yeah. You know, because one of them is infected and the other one isn't. So I, I think that Layman maybe missed one opportunity to really put that that question to us a little better um, by making it very personal. Um, to yeah. somebody that they had to kill someone versus just making it completely about defending themselves. Didn't he just throw that away early in the book with the husband and wife thing? Was it well, like some like grocery shopping and she comes home and and I, she gets wet and murders her husband or something? Or am I there was right? No, no. But I'm saying if the husband in that situation had an opportunity to 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 kill his wife, I feel like, and I I might be remembering this wrong. I feel like there was a very tiny, like maybe a paragraph where that happened with the John character, um, but not because you know, his wife necessarily got turned, but like, he wasn't sure what was going on. Um, I feel like that might be the case, but it could be wrong. Oh, at the end when her yeah. and Cassie are taking their clothes off and yeah. throwing them Sorry, in the fire there are no stuff spoilers. Like Just know that they will not have clothes on, but if you've ever read a Layman <laughs> book, you may have already known that. So, um, Dude, well, this women. was published in 91. Yeah. Can, can we spoil it? Well, I don't know. People may want to read it after hearing these great uh, these great descriptions that we gave, and clearly oh, five star reviews from 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 all three panelists. So, oh, um, speaking of, because I know we're probably at our wrap up soon, right? I think I had a quote. I think I okay, have one let's qu- do it. I think I have Wait. one quote. So I hope I I hope I do because otherwise, I'll be editing this. Um, so give me a second here. 
and that little kid looking up at the stars. That's the Kindle, you know what I'm saying? I'm talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, I did, all right. So this doesn't. This isn't the greatest quote, but I'm going to say it anyway. We want to talk about the gory. We talked in general terms about the goriness, like how like brutal the the book is. But I, I highlighted one thing just because I was like, <clears throat> "There's no need for this sentence because the description that came before it <laughs> told the story plenty." But um, in the description of when they, when someone's seeing like the chaos out in the streets and it's obvious that a woman had been run over by a car, there's a line that follows the description that just says, she looked as if she'd been run over many times. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why was that necessary, Richard Lane? Wait, wait, how did I... she die? I think that, but I think that just goes, I mean, I don't know when I remember reading that line and like kind of shuddering, like, yeah, like it gets worse the more times you run over. So Dude, you guys it's not have seen as it, bad right? as the, uh, the black guy, the, the dead black guy whose skin looked like polished wood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I do want to mention, I don't really have any quotes, but I do want to mention, um, for you two, at least. Um, very early on in the book where the movie theater goers that are mentioned in the, uh, in the synopsis are standing outside, mm-hmm. um, where we see the first like real burst of like group violence when the rain comes down, they're waiting uh, to buy tickets for a movie called out are the lights, which right. features very prominently in the book out are the lights by Richard Lehman, which is about a movie called out are the lights. Ah. Nice. So that's a nice little kind of homage to another one of his uh, another one of his books. Wow, very cool. Uh, are you guys ready for wrap ups? I would like Jesse to go first. Wow, no pressure. All right, um, <clears throat> this is the first Richard Layman book I've ever read. It was recommended to me like seriously like fourteen fifteen years ago, and <laughs> I've always meant to read it. And this became the perfect opportunity to do it for many reasons, which we're not going to go into, but have to do with podcast competition for the Patreon picks. <laughs> but I really liked, I really liked this story. Um, his his writing is super quick. Like this, it's like a four hundred some page book, but you can just breeze through it. The only real issue I had with it probably it'd be like that such horror was was thrusted upon some of the characters like viciousness and rape and stuff like that and people got things were resolved more or less there was some justice sought and i feel like i feel like that wasn't given equal attention or graphic description so i was kind of off put by the fact that there was pages and pages of graphic sexual violence against people and that the resolution was like a paragraph or two, you know, I kind of felt like it was falling into that category of horrible sexual violence is titillation instead of a story thing. So given that I'd probably say this is about three and a half, four stars. Rob, would you like to go next? Oh man, I was typing out notes about what I wanted to say because I had some really thoughtful things. 
Um, uh, so yeah, give me one second. All right, so um, we read Night in the Lonesome October, which um, this guy really likes the word night in his titles. One Rainy Night actually has a title. Does not prepare you for what happens on One Rainy Night. <sighs> so it's violent. It's got some hate crime. It's definitely rapey. And um, all around, it makes you feel dirty a lot. Um, but there's a there's some things that came out as themes to me that that were kind of the redemption of the book. Um, first of all, like it's a cool twist on the trope of like everybody becomes a crazed killer, um, and I won't go into exactly why. But um, typically, when you run into this thing, it's like zombies, and it's and it's the um, <clears throat> overwhelming, unbeatable force. And so, like. Um, uh, Fuck, probably six years ago, talking to Stephen Graham Jones said with the zombie apocalypse, it's not about living, it's about having the best death. And like because of the way that um Layman played out this whole like like mass of crazed killers thing, there was a different um dynamic to it. He int- he introduced some nuance that uh you don't usually see, and I like the way that he introduced that. Um so that was a very good thing. I will say that if you zoom out and you look at the way that everybody acted who wasn't affected by the Black Rain, you will see that all of the best decisions in the book were made by women. And all the really stupid decisions in the book were made by men. And then the other thing that I'll point out is that um, the story kicks off with the murder of a black kid by some really awful white kids. So there's obviously a hate crime thing going on. And the book is overall kind of a metaphor of this is what happens when crazy people pick on a minority. And I'm and I'm speaking really generally and there's probably a more thoughtful thing to it, but like the whole idea is like if you're going to act crazy like this, this is this is who you are. I feel is what I took from this book. So as violent and gory and naked and rapey as a lot of the content of the book is there's really some like strong um good messages that come out of it and i think it's the type of story that it, when you look at it it analyzes like here is all like the worst of the world but by telling this story i'm showing you what the good of it is and i could just be talking out of my ass but that's kind of what i took out of it and so i really enjoyed this book and so I'm going to give it four and a half stars. <clears throat> One Rainy Night is not my favorite um, Richard Lehman book. I can think of three at, at least that I uh, that I enjoyed more than this. Um, that being said, I really enjoyed this book. And although I may have not gotten the same messages out of it as my co-hosts um, did, uh, very fast-paced very um yeah it makes you feel kind of dirty but but really in 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 entertaining book in, in its pace and like the challenges that that um these different groups face and how they overcome how the groups are tied together which rob talked about um early on in the podcast um it is uh just the right amount of violence and gore for this type of story and for a layman book um there's just the right amount of like really seedy 
um, nasty, you know, just whatever you want to, you know, the sex, the violence, the gore. It's 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 like the perfect amount. Um, when I open up a Richard Lehman book, this is pretty much what I expect. Um, I love the tropes. I mean, I love the the fact that, that the guys are always going to take a, a moment out of, you know, uh, avoiding an axe wielding maniac to, to look at the boob. Uh, I just I, I love it. I've always loved it about Lehman's work. And I mean, this is really, you know, it's, it's horror porn. It's it's not meant to be. I, I don't feel that it's meant to be super deep. I think it's just meant for you to kind of barrel through. And, and I, I don't know who might be doing stuff like this nowadays. Um, but boy, I'd, I'd, I'd look forward to uh, to reading something like this by someone who uh, is still putting out work. So uh, no secret here. Layman's one of my favorite authors, and I'm going to give this five stars. Nice. Jesse. Thank you, because I don't know that I would have reread um, One Rainy Night, and I'm glad that you uh, gave me the opportunity to. Hey, man, this one's for you. <laughs> Definitely. I would just like to say, officially for the record, this is my favorite Patreon pick that we've had. In case there are any <laughs> doubts, in case anybody's keeping track, um, this is it. This is the who, best one that we've done. Who would be keeping track? I, I, just in case anybody is, I don't know. If Patreon, other Patreon select participants might be listening, you've got a long way to go to top this one. Maybe you'll get to read another Richard Layman book. So that being I gotta, said, I got to say that what? I've always, my entire life, I've wondered what it's felt like to be fought over. <laughs> just saying. And you're still wondering. Still wondering. That, um, I would just like to say for anybody who's a, uh, Who's listening? Who might be interested in reading a Richard Layman book? The Traveling Vampire Show is my second favorite Richard Layman book. Just in case anybody was wondering, <laughs> and it has that, not that been title reviewed. alone makes me want to read. It. <laughs> has not been reviewed by by us yet either. God damn it! The Traveling Vampire Show. All right. It was the oh. first Layman book. So going back to two thousand and one. I was in probably Crown Books at the time, I'm assuming, um, perusing the shelves, saw an interesting title, picked it up, went home, read it in you know a couple sittings, and said that was the Traveling Vampire Show. I said, my God, I really fucking enjoyed this book. And this was, you know, kind of, I would say early days of the Internet. I think I was on high-speed Internet at the time, but still 2001, pretty early. So I pop online, I type in Richard Lehman, and the first thing that comes up is that he died about two weeks before I read that book. Damn. Talk about finding someone you really enjoy and then finding out that they died like less than a month ago is uh was just terrible. But I wound up reading uh, a vast majority of his collection. And and the only reason I haven't completed them is I know there are no more new layman books. So as long as I don't finish them, there will always be a new layman book out there waiting for me. I was actually thinking about that while reading this book because this is this is the first Richard Layman book that I've read and I, I know he's gone and that there aren't going to be any more. And I was like, you, you gave a recommendation, which is something I was actually going to ask you for because I like this book quite a bit. I did have like, a, other than what I said in my review, I had another problem that like, I know you Livius aren't the super biggest fan of ambiguity in books or at least in how they end <laughs> and tie things and tie things up. And I don't, feel like that happened with how this was tied up but i felt that in general throughout the book that enough there wasn't enough attention to paid to the origin of the problem or how it was created it, it seemed like it was really skated over so i was thinking it about was that. you're right it was yeah. I, I, yeah i i know exactly what you mean 
Yeah. So I was thinking about that while I was reading this. I'm like, I would totally read another Richard Lehman book, but I would probably read synopsis first for different titles and then pick it based off that, you know? Him and um, another favorite writer of mine is Jonathan Carroll. And what did we reviewed something by him, Rob? Do you remember what it was? It's the Mr. Strange guy, right? Did we? Pretty sure we did. Wait a minute. Um, it had a it had a long, stupid title, right? Yes, and it was about the yeah. The, yes, it uh, was there about drowning or were, uh, no. Any rate, once we once we <laughs> this podcast gets big enough, we'll have that intern that can look these things up for us, like live while we're doing this. Um, um, the thing that I I like about Layman and about Carol is that most of their books um, hinge on like a small supernatural element. So in this one, the black rain is a supernatural element, right? But really, it doesn't matter what the black rain is or where it came from. It's what the black rain does. Yeah. So although it's explained away a little bit and probably in in too short of a fashion, I agree with you. Um, I like that they have a supernatural element that isn't the entire focus of the story. And Jonathan Carroll does that, too. Where he's like, here's like a fairly normal situation. Now, here's the weird supernatural thing that happens. But now just accept it and get on with the story that they have to deal with the supernatural thing. That's you know what I mean? So it's one. That's a good point. Yeah, I kind of like that about them that, you know, they give you the little twist and they're like, here, deal with it. This is what it is. But here's here's the situations these people have to overcome and they make it less about the supernatural thing than the situation that has to be beaten, bested, overcome. Bathing the Lion. That's the one. It was not a very good book, by the way. I'm there reading the synopsis and I'm like, I have no fucking memory of this book at all. <laughs> at all. It was weird. It was like the person had a dead person talking to them through their dog or some shit. I don't remember. It wasn't very good. <laughs> that sounds better than the synopsis I just read. Anyway. Five people who live in the same New England town go to sleep one night. <laughs> that book? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to go back and listen to that re- review. I guess I could just, I could go back and look at what we rated it first. Yeah, <laughs> and then decide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I this this uh, took a longer. This took longer than I expected it to. Because yeah, like, me too. Yeah. I'm really surprised. Um, but uh, definitely, you know what, guys? I got to tell you, I, I you guys really pointed out some some really interesting things out of, out of this book. You were listening to my my synopsis and you're like, or my review, my wrap up, and you're like, this is all bullshit. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, you know, I just it, it comes to that same thing, right? Like, is that what the author intended, or is that just you know, what, what I mean. someone chose to see? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's that's not a judgment against you. That that happens all the time. So that's it could be. I don't know. I mean, Layman unfortunately dead, so we can't know for sure. Um. Oh shit, Livius. <laughs> yes. For bathing the lion, uh, you rated it two stars, and I gave yeah. it a generous two and a half. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I just remember not liking that, and I was reading a lot of Jonathan Carroll probably around the time I was reading Layman, and they're two very different, um, two very different kinds of storytellers. Um, Jonathan Carroll far more eloquent. I'll bet you if you go back and listen to that review, we have a ton of quotes that we think are beautifully written, and we just didn't like the story. That's just my guess. Um. But uh, that's another guy who's not putting out enough stuff currently. All right. Unless anybody's anything else, I want to thank Jesse for uh, not only coming on to review the book with us, but choosing the book and for being 
a forever faithful uh, Patreon contributor. Thank you so much, Jesse, for everything. Thanks for having me back. And I guess this time also, thanks for not completely despising the book that I chose. (laughs) (laughs) This one was a decent ride. Oh, (laughs) well played. Ouch. Uh, Yeah, Jesse, for sure. Thank you for being a a wonderful Patreon contributor. And and seriously, man, I, I, I don't know. You know how many layman rereads I have in my life, but um, uh, it's essentially forcing me to do this one is is really one of the nicest things that someone's done for me on this podcast. So, oh, God. Uh, you're just you're very, just buttering up the other one. I know you are. Very, That's all you're doing. Very, I, I have the feeling you're going to get to reread another layman book. You never listen. I threw out another author's name pretty hard this episode, just in case nobody caught the, the hint. Was that Irving Welsh? Right. <laughs> no. It was it Jonathan tra- Carroll? It might have been spotting? Jonathan. It might have been Jonathan Carroll. God damn it! Um, but <laughs> we're not sure what you're hearing next because at this point we're actually recording episodes completely out of order. So I have I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you heard last. I don't know what you're hearing next. All I can tell you is um, come back soon. There will be another episode of booked. Until then, I'm Livius Ned, and I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.